the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone. Saying hello to our worldwide audience to Rescuers Radio Show. Welcome to another episode. And it's a very proud moment for me to have as my guest, Kit Danley. Kit is the founder and president of Phoenix Neighborhood Ministries, which is quite extensive, and we have a lot to talk about and discuss this morning. Kit, good good morning, or, or hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. Whenever this what, airs. Exactly. <laughs> and whatever time of the day whatever, it is. For... Yeah. <laughs> and wherever you are in the country, That's whatever, right. whatever that is. So, um, uh, Kit, uh, I'd like to start off the program with all my guests uh, by beginning with your backstory. Yeah. Give us a story about how you got here. Okay. Well, um, it's a long story, so maybe I'll we got uh, time. Yeah, <laughs> just do a, a few yeah. highlights. So, um, uh, so I am a child of Milwaukee, uh, as we say, Milwaukee, Milwaukee. <laughs> and uh, um, from wealth and uh, and also some scandal, and so our mom fled that uh, with a nominal religious background herself. Our dad had committed suicide, and so we uh, traveled um, uh, to to Arizona, to Scottsdale, to kind of um, get a new life. And uh, I was turned, just turning 12, and we had a terrible car accident on the way where we almost all died. Oh so... Oh so it was uh, a real turning point in a person's life and certainly in a child's life and it's certainly in my life. Um, but I can really locate uh, at that juncture uh, a, a, a God-seeking. And so as a kid uh, with an Episcopal church background, and this is the 70s and uh, actually the 60s at the time, and uh, the Episcopal Church was in more than one place. And one of the places was a charismatic renewal. And so there was this liberal church that had these charismatic born-again priests, and I received Christ. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and it was the beginning of a struggle with God yeah. because there was a lot to overcome. And so then I found myself in Young Life, in a Young Life club, when every week I was one of those kids, the cheerleader kind of kid, that type of person, student council, and so on. And uh, 
and wrestling privately with God because my background now had created lots of questions, lots of concerns that if you're such a loving God, why is there so much suffering in this world? I thought that was the question. (laughs) Really, the question was, if you're such a loving God, why do I have so much suffering? Mm. But I... but. But, but we didn't do a lot of self-discovery in those years, and so it was hard to be really self-aware as a kid. And so I didn't know I was asking my own personal question. <laughs> and then God met me in that question. Mm. Um, in my freshman year in college, he met me in that question with a conversion to, uh, to Christ, to a whole gospel, to an understanding that God is present among suffering people it was a very mystical, very supernatural conversion, such that uh, in hearing him speak into my question around suffering, I said yes to him. Keep in mind, Young Life had done a pretty good job of getting me ready for what that big decision <laughs> yeah, was supposed ministry. to be. Yep. And uh, you know, I give them so much credit for that, for doing that outreach. We've been doing ourselves as a ministry. We'll get around to that in a minute, but we've been doing outreach ourselves for 40 years. And so I've learned from the best how to do outreach. Okay. Anyway, back to my backstory. What was uh, so important um, about my conversion was that God spoke into really who I was he said, I, I like that question, where am I in suffering? In fact, it's one of my favorite questions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to tell you the answer. Sometimes God doesn't tell us answers, right? Right. I'm going to tell you the answer. I'm present in it. You can find me there. Oh. And then he said to me, uh, I... I would like you to follow me there. Mm. Uh, I would like you to go where I am. And so in that conversion moment, I was also converted with a calling to the poor. And remember, I'm a kid from Scottsdale. I'm a cheerleader. I was the homecoming queen <laughs> at Scottsdale High School, right? And so wow. white, you know, uh, if there are kids of color in my school, we don't remember them. Although they were there, now I make it a diligent pursuit of who I didn't see mm-hmm. when I was in high school. Those things bring me to tears, by the way, <laughs> how blind I was for so long. Mm. Anyway. Uh, and uh, so I, so there was this wholehearted yes to God. Yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and Lord. I want to follow you wherever you take me. You have my whole life. All that back and forth fighting is over. And yes, I, I surrender to this calling you have on my life. And I didn't fully understand it until I started watching my life shift. <laughs> I shifted what I was studying in college. I... Uh, located uh, my future mentors. Uh, I didn't do it. I mean, God did it for me. Uh, These young evangelicals in the time who were rediscovering the thousands of passages of God's heart for the poor, and I was being mentored in them. Me and, like, what, 10 others. I mean, honestly, it was a a very small movement among 
uh, evangelicals, and I'll say white evangelicals because we really kind of catalog ourselves these days, um, who were remembering that the uh, that the objective of the gospel is to go where Jesus goes, and he goes among the least, last, lost, and left out. That's his message. That's his proclamation. And uh, and I was privileged with this now brand new Christian, brand new calling on my life to be able to sit at the feet of these theologians who were saying, remember all those passages that were ripped out of your Bible because of, you know, that schism, blah, 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 of the last, uh, of the last turn of the last century? We're finding them again. Wow. And they were presidents of seminaries. They were... Um, they were frontline workers. Uh, all of them had come from the slash fundamentalist slash evangelical, depending on what renewal piece you were in in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, <laughs> 1960s, yeah, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so those theologians, I had access to them as a kid. And um, so I have this calling on my life that I'm becoming more and more aware of. And now... These people, practitioners as well as theologians, are saying, "Let's let let us show you kids now how to live mm. this calling, and with very specific direction, and and also a movement growing uh, that now is quite large. But uh, in those days, it was very nascent, and and uh, so that's my that's the very beginnings of both me with Christ and me among the poor. I love it, you know." Um a while back, I had a guest sitting where you're sitting right now. I actually she wasn't because it was on uh, she was on Zoom because she couldn't be here. And uh, this person said uh, she took Romans eight twenty eight to a whole new level for my for me and for our audience. Uh, God will allow something He hates to achieve something He loves. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. So he can he can allow something to happen that that may just be a horrible circumstance for us, but then if we stick with him and know him and follow him, he'll 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 say, "Look, this is why I, I equipped you for this." Right. That's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And I think that's how he works. Mm-hmm, uh, always. He's worked that way in my life again mm-hmm. and again and again, and. However, it took me 49 years to turn my life over to Christ. <laughs> so, but there's a, there's a, you know, um, whatever that was before is now, is now gone. And, and he's enriched my life. Uh, I can't even tell you how many times fold, but, yeah. but even the rescuer show uh, right. is because of him. So um, you've answered uh, one of my prevalent question was uh, unusual conversation or conversion to Christianity, and you just nailed it. And um, so um, you received the calling, and and you're just right out of high school at this time, right? Or were you in college? Yeah, uh, that was my freshman year in college, Uh uh-huh. So I was 19. Okay. So you got the college, you got the uh, call for ministry in college, and the first ministry began, I have 1982, but... Well, it's, you know... That's the neighborhood ministry. Yeah, that's neighborhood ministries. You know, we're all on a journey, aren't we? We're all progressing. And so 
you know, naming the first ministry that I had the privilege of being a part of uh, is the way in which callings reveal themselves. You know, I was, remember, I'm a kid from a ton of dysfunction. I'm a kid from a fairly pagan background. Both my parents had religious stories in their background, but we didn't have access to those much, right? And so... um, so it's this calling is kind of revealing itself while I'm in college. So I it was with the neighbor kids. So I I graduated from NAU. So I was living in in those days those uh neighborhoods right off our uh the NAU campus were kind of just run down houses that uh kids lived in, campus students or neighbors. And so my first ministry was, as my roommates would tell me, was with our neighbors. You know, all of a sudden these kids are in our house and all of a sudden I'm and then I needed to do a a practicum for my sociology degree. And there were lots of places in town I could have done some work. And I said to uh, my professor, I want to work with a, a Christian ministry that serves the poor in and Flagstaff, and my professor said, "Okay, we, <laughs> go find one." Yeah. So I knocked on the door of the Flagstaff Mission to the Navajos. These were older women. At those days, they were between their seventies and eighties, who had gone to the reservation from the Midwest because they read a pamphlet to the savages. Stuff, stuff, stuff. You know ways we should never talk about First Nations people ever again as right. long as we live. Exactly. But they did in those days, and that okay. But I'm a kid, and what do I know? They're Christian, and they work among the Navajo. I knock on their door, and I look like a kid from the 70s, right? I don't know what clothes I was wearing, blue jeans or whatever. And and remember, bell I— Bell-bottoms. Bell-bottoms. <laughs> and, I, and I come from—even though I'm born again and I'm— in Bible studies 24-7, and I'm so fired up for Christ and stuff. And I'm, it's the Jesus movement, and I'm in a million ministries, right? But to old missionaries, I look like a crazy person, like knocking on their door. Hey, I'd like to do an internship here. And so they let me. and uh, And I became fully in love with the Navajo Nation and Navajo people, and I ended up building a bunch of relationships with some young girls, kind of like a little discipleship group kind of thing, and they looked at me like, she's normal. (laughs) I'm I'm not trying to put anybody down right now. I'm just, I just look so normal to these kids. (laughs) Anyway, and, uh, and so ministry just kept happening like that. Until um, until this um, set of um, supernatural um, circumstances started coming together with our church moving into the hood downtown in Phoenix. We had, by this time, I'm married to Wayne. We have two little kids. Wayne and I, know it was in our vows. We knew we were going to live in the hood. We were going to move in as soon as... God opened the doors. Now our church is in that neighborhood. 
uh, we move in, Wayne and I move into this broken down house with our babies. And our four-year-old says, Mommy, so um, why are we moving from the pretty house to the ugly house? And we said, well, this house is going to be beautiful one day. <laughs> it's just kind of a mess right now. And um, and so that intentionality was already in us both, Wayne and I, and now in our children. Um, it's a very long story to tell you how integrated our grown kids are now. Oldest is 42, youngest is 40, and then we adopted two more, and they're in their 20s. Anyway, um, to tell you the the profound power of raising a family uh, in inside a community that now you love and you're devoted to. So the ministry has its story, which is really miraculous as well. But this is also our family story. Yeah, fantastic. I, I we're halfway through the program, a little more than halfway. <laughs> but time flies when we're having fun, right? So. Um, I can identify with you on so many points, but that's going to be another discussion over coffee, I think. Okay. Um, So uh, you have what you call hubs inside the ministry. Okay. What what are those? Tell me a little bit about the hubs. Oh, well. um, hmm. I have a list here. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, The hubs are actually they're called core values. Right. There, there you go. Uh-huh. And uh, core values, um, there's uh, an El Mercado thrift store. There's a food bank, Area uh-huh. of Impact. Okay, yeah. Um, I have I have an ongoing list Yeah, here. okay, so we have 20. <laughs> so neighborhood <laughs> ministries over the last. We la- have a director for each one of these, I We think, do, right? uh-huh. Okay. Okay, so, so neighborhood ministries will turn 40 years old uh, next year. At 2022. So over the course of time, uh, God has built this work. We have 26 programs. We have an eight-acre campus. God gave us in 1997 an old uh, abandoned property. It was an old feed and seed mill, an old agricultural center at 19th Avenue and Van Buren. Yeah, Yeah. and it had a lot of buildings on it that were all in one form of decay or another. So we've all but one last building, we've rebuilt the entire campus. And, um, yeah, and so uh, we have, uh, yeah, we have different program centers, like a workforce development center, a kids outreach center. We have a medical um, uh, campus, uh, a medical um, facility on our campus. We have a soccer field. We have a youth drop-in center that's very rich with all kinds. We have a, uh, an early childhood center. Yes, we do have a thrift store, El Mercado. We have a business, another business uh, for silk screening. So we really uh, are promoting small business development in our, in our community. We have a church that worships in Spanish and in English. Nice. And uh, and and so on. I don't. I haven't mentioned them all. Well, if you're late to the program to Rescuers Radio Show, uh, this show is featuring Kit uh, Kit Danley, founder and president of the Phoenix Neighborhood uh, Ministries. So uh, I captured a, one of your quotes that I found really interesting. Uh, neighborhood Ministries is a hub of community where basic necessities of life are 
joyfully met. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's got a lot of power to it. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Well, yeah, so we really love what we do. What we do. <laughs> yeah. And we really love our community, and our community loves us back. Sometimes we feel like our community is love. And, um, and so our work, uh, as it, as it, as, uh, as we meet needs, as we meet people, as we, um, together address really critical and complicated issues, we almost daily feel like we're doing it together. There's a lot of joy in that. Yeah. We're not like, um, the saviors, right? We're we just know the savior. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm glad you said that because a lot of people wouldn't acknowledge that. Oh well, yeah. Well, you have to be a human being for a minute, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm here to save you. I'm here to help you. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's really you. unfortunate, yeah. and of course, that's not a good thing. And right. read when helping hurts. It's a book. <laughs> <laughs> because it's all about that. Uh, it's a really good book, by the way, and I use it for text because I do a lot of teaching, right? Yeah. Out of the context of these forty years. So anyway, um, yeah, there's so much joy, and and there's also joy in the suffering. You know, people's problems are really painful to know. Yes. It's yes. hard. So I'm going to look at you right now and pretend you're somebody I'm talking to. And you're telling me something really hard. You're being evicted. Uh, you haven't had work for two months. Yeah. Uh, your kids can't do school anymore. You've got a mentally ill parent or you've got five family members that just died of COVID or whatever it is yes. you're telling me. And I'm with you. I'm listening. I'm trying to think, what can I do? What's my role? Why are you here now? Why are you in my life? Why did God bring you? Because together... And then I start to think uh, about the resilience of you and the re- and the capacity you have to actually have even brought yourself to this place to even get resources so that you can stay in the game of life for one more day. So I'm I'm so overwhelmed by how remarkable you are, this resilient person, trying to keep fighting another for another day of life for your family or for yourself. And then I find out you know God, too, of course. And I just think, where would I rather be? Yeah. There's a question to ponder in that conversation. Well, and the answer for me is nowhere. Nowhere. (laughs) This is where I want to be. (laughs) Where where you are. Um, In James, James, I just love, uh, you know, every trial in life has the uh, ability to deliver joy. Mm Mm-hmm. And that that's what I think about when I hear you speak about that. Yeah. Because it's, um, it's hard, but yet uh, in every trial there is joy somewhere, somehow. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah we, we, yeah, we work that out in our spiritual journey yeah. as we mature in Christ, don't we, to figure out what yeah. the heck that means? I know. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is, uh, is, is full of joy all the time. Yeah. But, but she, uh, she really acknowledges the joy in her, in her life and mm-hmm. in our marriage and in and around us mm-hmm. and all of our friends. And, yeah. And, Happy and, to hear that. And we try to, um, to go the extra 
mile, you know, Jesus says, for what you've done for the least of these, you've done to me, right? That's true. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. I preach that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so you speak to uh, college audiences, high school, churches, mm-hmm. wherever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, all of the above. Yeah. Yeah, and have for many years. Yeah. yeah. In different places here in, in our city or elsewhere. Yeah. So the number of years you've actually been pondering this, and this has been building in your heart, has been about 40 years, I think you said. No, even more, because the, by 50, because yeah. it really started, the pondering and the reflection and the scripture, these thousands of verses of God's heart for the poor, have been in me 50 years. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry. We have, we're in our last two minutes. Okay. But I, I do want to ha- ask one more question. Um, what, what is it possible that um, is it possible that there's evidence of breaking the cycle of poverty? Yes. Oh my gosh! Can I come back <laughs> and we'll do a whole another half an hour on on what it means yeah. to break the cycle of poverty in the first generation? And everyone who knows what I just said, because yeah. they've studied this for their own selves knows that in America it's about seven generations. You can break the cycle of poverty in the first generation, but we'll talk about that another day. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Kit Danley, for uh, being a Christian leader, having a positive impact in the Valley. You are a rescuer. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, uh, Rescue Radio Show can be found at its website, rescuersradioshow.org. And uh, we air every Thursday at 5.30 at KPXQ Faith Talk uh, 1360 and faithtalk1360.com. God bless. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 